and welcome to an all-new Talking Football Extra, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. Today we'll be focusing on an era that lasted for almost 15 years. We are of course talking about Max Abel, who's announced that he'll be taking a step back from the world of football due to various reasons. My name is Nick Viltagen and here to honor and to discuss the reasonings behind Max Abel's departure is a full writer podcaster, Bundesliga expert and Borussia Mönchengladbach fan, Manuel Breuer. Welcome back to the show, Manuel. Welcome, Nick. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I am glad you're here. You're just the man I wanted to talk about when, you know, this news hit me uh, shortly before the weekend. I mean, it's been 72 hours since we heard about Max Abel stepping down. And, well, before we get to the whys and the ins and outs of what's been going on of late, why shouldn't we start with sort of looking at his era in its entirety? Max Abel, he got in there in 2008. And if you take a look at the club Borussia Mönchengladbach were back in 2008 and the club there now. That really speaks volumes about the man's work over the years, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the most important aspects going forward with whoever will replace him, succeed, you know, build a new um, sporting directorship. It should always be remembered that Eber built a foundation now over the last almost you know, one and a half decades and of course, you know, the club being currently not so strong on the sporting side of things, but the infrastructure has been massively improved to the extent that I'm still quite or rather optimistic going forward to think that with the youth center, with the way the stadium infrastructure is run, you know, the academy has been built, that there's a hotel, you know, additional sort of amenities that, that are built around this, that the club is just stronger, in a stronger position than it was in 2008, where essentially it was one of those teams where... You know, you have a lot of tradition, but one or two players not performing in your squad and you're facing relegation, uh, which the you know, club had just come up from the second uh, Bundesliga again. Um, and they saved, they were saved by the bell in the, in the subsequent years, still with Eber. But at that, you know, these years, it was just sort of hit and miss. Um, you know, do you get to 35-ish points? Do you, are you saved? And then it was a very steady second decade uh, with under Eber with, of course, unprecedented success uh, for, for the club um, when it comes to, it's the same modern times, of course, you know, we're not, not talking about the 70s. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a different club now. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the way Borussia Mönchengladbach were playing and who they were playing under when Eber came in, I mean, uh, one of the man coaches in charge there was Michel Fronzek. And me and you have talked about Michel Franzek before. Neither of us are particularly big fans. I hear he's doing tremendous work in, in Wolfsburg right about now, by the way. But from Franzek, he went to Lucien Favre. And, you know, he's actually had a quite a good hand at picking coaches over the years and picking the right players. I mean, that is basically teamwork, though, you would have to think. So what sort of structures has he built up around him to get these decisions right? Well, I think he's relying, oh, Max Abel is somebody who's really relying or relied on people he can trust and people he can work with over a long time. And that was also the success of the club in the past yeah, 14 years, we have to say. Um, the, the board remained very steady in that time. Of course, you know, um, President Koenigs or director of board Koenigs, he uh, went into the background. He was very um, active and very sort of next to the pitch with, uh, you know, in front of the cameras uh, around 2005 when the club was um, 
well, one of the sillier sides in, in German football when it came to transfers and uh, what they were trying to achieve. And he took not one, but maybe two steps back. And um, together with uh, Stefan Schippers, um, you know, who does who does anything related to the you know, treasury, he who also came in about 20 years ago, um, they've just been a team. You know, this is the operational side and this is the financial side. We're running this, you know, together, separately, but together. And um, with the board that has been steady, you know, Hans Meyer, um, brought in, and um, of course there's um, you know there, there's there's other people who've been very steady in the board, and uh, Rainer Bonhoff now being the you know uh, vice president of the club. Um, these people have been around now 20 years, so he can rely on these people. Um, if you look at uh, the youth academy, that's Roland Verkuster, who was brought in also in 2008. So again, we're talking 14 years. So Max Eber's reign, I may call this uh, like that, it's been it's been around very stable. Um, you know, um, build up a setup of of the people he works with, and of course, this is also then Christopher Heimerow, the former Gladbach keeper, was then you know brought into the team due to you know team managing aspects. Stefan Corral, who's now of course the interim sporting director, he's been at the club as well for twenty years, um, and he took sort of a side step role scouting. He's he's really into sort of looking at the um, at the transfers to be done and uh, it was said that throughout the last year it was also him doing most of the talking for the transfers so you know you see these names are have been around for a while so certainly he's no higher fire guy that Max Eber yeah I mean if you have been following the Bundesliga since the 90s like I have uh, you know that Stefan Carell used to play for Gladbach in the 90s Christopher Heimrod he's uh, had a few Bundesliga matches here and there for them Rainer Bonhoff my god he, he played for Germany in the 70s and was a Borussia Mönchengladbach player. I mean, he played basically on the same team as, as Günther Netzer back in the day and uh, Hans Meyer, my lord. How to describe Hans Meyer? He he is certainly a, a, a man who, who packs a bit of a punch when it comes to uh, saying what he wants to say. And, you know, he's been at Borussia Mönchengladbach for, for a number of... Uh, I, I think he's been there a couple of times as a coach and uh, done rather well with that side as well. So people who's, who know the club inside out and you sort of see that this is sort of like a family feel kind of thing, which, you know, it's, when it comes to breeding stability is, is great. But on the other hand side, you would look at Werder Bremen where they've sort of had the same setup and you see where they're at right now. So is, is this maybe sort of like the underlying danger of how things have been over the years that you are kind of maybe sliding that way? In, in hindsight, and you know, knowing what we know now, I think it's a definite yes also for Gladbach, that answer. So it seems that from what you hear, it seems simply that Max Abel has spun a little bit out of control, although that sounds maybe a bit too dramatic, but he's really obsessed with work, with his work, with his performance as a, as a sporting director. He's always been so. Um, and I think that caused him to sort of micromanage a lot of things. And I think the board, Gladbach was very happy to take a step back, as I just said, and let Abel do because he's been doing this you know, job tremendously well, especially for the first 10, 11 years. And of course, then you maybe are missing the checks and controls if you are really in charge of everything. And there's no team in the sense that criticism is allowed. And I think that that sort of echo went around Borussia Park to those listening in the past year or so, that this has been kind of a problem that, you know, there's just one opinion allowed. And and you know that's just causing trouble because that, that's not how 
uh, you know things should be run you know it's very rare examples of this working out really nicely already more than a decade into you know somebody taking control of a certain axis of the business so yeah it's it's sort of uh, the wear and tear kind of accelerated really in the last two years that's how it seems yeah you know i mean that's what struck me when i sort of started looking at it but looking at abel and looking at his current situation you have to say that might not come as a surprise when you sort of start reflecting upon how things have been going you know the mechanisms of the business you just think well maybe he would have been out of a job anyways if this season hadn't gone to plan and given that there are many players who leave on a free transfer at the end of the season, which also is sort of his responsibility. It's his table, isn't it? And then you also know that he actually took a break a while back from football to recharge his batteries. So you must wonder if this is something that has been going on for a while. Yeah, and I think I think quite often these situations, although I've never been in this situation, things just accelerate at a certain point. You know, I think there's some sort of balance you can regain by... You know, maybe taking a day or taking taking a bit of a step back yourself as you know being the man or the woman in charge. But in this situation, as you say, that a year ago he he was planning to take four weeks. Turns out he had to be back after two weeks because uh, Mbolo thought it was interesting to do a party night somewhere watching basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it was it was cut short. And and of course also there was the Rosa situation at the time. Him leaving to to Dortmund earlier than expected. So I think he didn't really benefit from this break in a way he had anticipated. And yeah, maybe things would have gone differently had he been allowed really to be somewhere in the mountains. I think that's where he was um, in a remote sort of chalet for a month, you know. But as I was saying, I think the last since 2020, since the pandemic, since maybe 2019 when he brought in Rosa, um, things yeah turned a bit sour. And I think he was just piling everything onto himself. Because the one thing you do have to understand about Mike Zebel is that he in a way remained fan of of the club and is a you know is is so deep in his work that he took all the attacks and there weren't that many actually in this club because people just liked him and they trusted his work and including here you know the journalists and, and and people around him and certainly also the fans but in these very few instances where somebody would voice critique he would take this really personal and and bark back you know there were some instances when he barked at the supporters being idiots or you know, there were a couple of, you know, feuds, small feuds with journalists, but it's nowhere comparable to the FC Hollywoods of this Bundesliga or the last decades. But he took all of this very, very personal. And I think if you just, you know, chew on this every year in and year out on any little comment, on any little thing that is not perfect, you're destined to to kind of burn out, I have to say, after after 10 or 12 years, I, 14 years. I, I do understand that entirely. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look through work psychology books, it, it usually tends to say that you should change positions after, you know, five to ten years. So staying in the same job for basically 14 years is, is quite a long time. And, um, you know, it sort of wearing you down at one point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, many people have been there before. And I'm also sort of wondering with the entire thing that is going on at, at the moment. I mean, we mentioned that Matthias Ginter and Zakaria most likely are going to leave on free transfers. The last time we spoke, we talked about these two leaving for free. Additionally, Adi Hütter hasn't been working out like planned, it's fair to say. You just wonder how much has this to do with this sort of piled up pressure that has been there, you know, on top of the comments that has come through Corona? Because in a normal situation, I would think that Ginter and Zagaria probably would have been sold for 30 plus million euros to sort of semi-big European teams. And, you know, these transfers 
are the ones that have been sort of removed from the transfer markets. I mean, you still get the big transfers. You still get your Neymars and your Mbappes and Erling Haaland's moving, but you don't have, you know, these, you know, semi-decent players or just more than decent players being sold for sort of a mediocre amount of money. And that has really been a big problem because as we, me and Jasmine talked about the other week, is, is basically Abel was left with two choices there. Either you sell well below price and are pretty fucked right right about now, or you let them go for free and you're fucked the following season, which is, it must be wearing you down at one point. I think it. I think I think it did. I think Gladbach is in an unfortunate position that their business model, their model how to exist in the Bundesliga and how to thrive in the Bundesliga is exactly built on getting exceptional talent in, and that has maybe shifted from national level talent to international top talents. If you you know talking the likes of, of course, Marcus Thuram still has to be named, although he's been on a dip <laughs> for for months now. But you know we had Granik Saka, we had um, uh, Christensen. You know, going then to Chelsea, um, Mark Andre Ter Stegen, of course, who was maybe still one of the earlier master sort of transfers. Royce, all of these names over the decade. That was the model to get to pay a modest fee that also increased. You know, for some of these talents, we, we paid ten million, which was huge uh, for still money, big money for a club like Gladbach. But we were able, as you say, to sell them on for twenty five plus, um, and that I think that middle to top wedge has completely collapsed on the corona and a lot of a lot of players find themselves well maybe overestimating their value and uh, you know finding themselves in a, in a tighter spot than they than they hope for you know before that you can just sort of pick and choose um and Gladbach was definitely specifically affected because they had built so much young quality into the team with the expiry date of 2020 21 22, we, we in the Forward podcast, we discussed this well, over a year ago that a lot of contracts will expire in 22 and 23. So there's sort of this avalanche of, you know, a financially interesting situation coming towards Gladbach where Ewell, you know, in, in, in hindsight, he should have maybe pushed this further with, with the likes of Ginter and Zakaria, get him to extend the contract earlier because I think there's always money in for the players as well on a short term and they still stay with the club. But yeah, this had all gone and there may have been some underestimation of how this will actually impact the club going through the pandemic just to hold on to these players. Uh, I mean, I, I was part of the, of the you know, observers to say a year, a year ago, how fantastic is that at a club like Lappach? They do not have to sell their players who made it into the Champions League. The squad stays together. But in hindsight, it, it wasn't maybe the greatest situation. There could have been fresh blood into the squad, which we see now is a major problem, uh, the way they perform on the pitch. And, of course, the money would have been there. They got this huge buffer money from going through the Champions League group stage, you know, going out in the last 16 against Manchester City. So that was a lifeline. But, yeah, it could have been so much better. So, yeah, Glapa was definitely hard hit by this. Indeed. Well, if, if we take uh, one step back and look at Max Ebel's term in total, I mean, what, what sort of accomplishments would you highlight? I mean, yes, things are looking bleak right about now, but the last 14 years, as you sort of mentioned that, they've been an unprecedented period, so if you leave out the 70s. Yes, so there was a tiny peak in the mid-90s with winning the German Cup and a band Kraus when they, of course, had you know Darlene, Herlich, Effenberg and, and Andersen. But that was a really short spell of success after two years that was gone, so this is in no way comparable to the 10 years or so. So what we've seen under Max Abel, of course, is, and he, he, he was always sort of called out for saying this, but you know being under the top nine, so single-digit performer uh, in the league, he's, you know, it's now 10 years and running, which is quite exceptional, so there's only... 
you know, Borussia Dortmund and, and, and Bayern Munich who've managed to do that as well, with all other clubs having dips in this in this period, one off season. And, and that included three times qualification for the Champions League, four qualifications for the Europa League. And, and a lot of, sort of Gladbach fans and podcasters around, around me, they, they sort of coined the, the phrase that um, childhood dream fulfiller or enabler, you know, in a, in a lengthy German word, as you would expect. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that's what he is, I think, to a lot of people. So he's been, as you said in the beginning, uh, with the club for over two decades as a player and, and just the name was always around. And a lot of Gladbach supporters have now been avid travelers to the away games, to the European League games, they, they've all been, you know, they're, they're in their 30s, they know nothing but Max Eberl being the man in charge or being one of the, the people in charge. And European football was just a, just a weird dream for some of these 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 kids or, or teenagers then growing up with Gladbach because they hadn't seen the late 90s, they were getting into it maybe in the early noughties and then all of a sudden you, you play all these these competitions and on top of it you play the Champions League. This is how this was perceived on a, on a Gladbach supporter side. These these Knights playing Manchester City, Juventus Turin, playing um, Barcelona. People were like, I cannot actually believe that Gladbach is playing in a competitive match in the Champions League against Barcelona. I cannot compute this. this it wasn't like, oh, this is nice. It, it was It was unreal. And he's given that to the club and nobody can take this away because the whole generation has now experienced really good football because first and foremost the football he created with the managers he created with the transfers he made was breathtaking at times I mean under Favre the, f- the first season the resurrection when they qualified for the playoffs in the, ch- in the Champions League there was his nickname Borussia Barcelona because it was all you know um, you know one touch really nice attacking football counter-attacking football and uh, Marco Royce but hey you know that that was before that i wouldn't have nobody would have dared to say Barcelona in you know one sentence with Gladbach. It was rather you know um, so, some remote village <laughs> anywhere somewhere in Kazakhstan. So um, if you compare it to the football, no offense to that uh, to that uh, country or city, but you know it was quite a shift in uh, quality and uh, all comes together with the European spots we had. Yeah, I mean, it, it really highlights how important it is to have the right man in his particular position at the club. Because, I mean, if, if I once again compare what you've been through to my club, is I actually started the other way around. I used to have the Champions League nights against Juventus, Real, Barca, even winning a couple of those matches, almost going through against Juventus if it hadn't been for a massive blunder by Tim Visa back in the day. But... um Leaving that aside, when Werder started making the wrong decisions, it sort of went the reverse way. It uh, it wasn't Champions League football, it wasn't European football anymore. It was the battle against relegation. Hey, Presta, now here we are in the Bundesliga too. So yes, it's it's definitely, it, you cannot emphasize enough how important having the right man in this position is. And he, he certainly has done tremendous work over the last 14 years. Now, let's talk about the reasonings. I mean, what did he say at this press conference? Why did he step down? Why did he make this decision? Because it certainly cannot have been an easy decision for, for somebody who's that big a fan of his own club. And I have to say it was really heartbreaking to watch that press conference. And a lot of uh, you know fellow observers, podcasters told me afterwards they you know had tears in their eyes or they were actually crying as well. Um, it was a very emotional moment. Um, Max Eber looked absolutely shattered, done. 
Um, he, he was, I mean, you know, you felt really bad for him because he, he clearly was physically yeah, damaged, you know, by, by this decision. Um, he, he sat there crying as well. And, um, you know, all he really said is that he has no, he, he's not in a position anymore to, to, to go forward. He, he can't do it anymore. He's done. And, uh, you know, that was the main message. And, you know, the rest of it was around, he mentioned this before, you know, in October, November, there were talks about him leaving, um, but he just realized now that it's not possible. Physically, he's not, he, he, he just wants to get out. That's what he said. He wants to get out of football, professional football. He wants just wants to be Max Abel, the person, the human being. So, yeah, it was pushing the big red button to, you know, eject himself from the from the Bundesliga circus. I mean, that last sentence there, I, I just want to be the person Max Abel. It's a stinging critique of both the fans and the media alike. And I think it's especially aimed at the media in Abel's case here. Because when you are in a position like he is, you do get called out for a lot of things that aren't really necessarily controllable. Even if you are micromanaging at a, at a you know at a silly rate, but you know you have to take all kinds of shit twenty four seven, and that wears people down, doesn't it? And I mean that should certainly give the media in itself some time to reflect and you know maybe question themselves. But do you think that the German press is ever going to do that? I mean that you basically have a man sitting here saying that I'm out of it because of you guys because of what you've done, and he's put up the mirror and said, this is what you've done. Is the press taking a close look? Uh, no, I don't think so. I I believe in, in Gladbach there, there may be now a shift of the culture, although I would say that actually it's it's a quite a nice place to be as someone in charge at Gladbach at the moment, or at least it has been in the last 15 years, that you don't see this nasty ad hominem attacks on coach or, or sporting director or some players there's very little upset there's very little digging dirt digging uh, rummaging through the you know bins in Gladbach so it has been actually a rather nice place to work um, that being said I understand that the level of pressure and the level of critique or you know random social media based critique that also you know there's then filtered through the, the media of course because nowadays they pick up these rumors and make it a story which I think is what most sporting directors or people like Max Eberl really annoy, and that's sort of the that's why he was often triggered in the past. And so it, there may be some consciousness now in Gladbach because they're immediately concerned with one of the biggest upsets in their history. But for anyone else, I think it's going to be business as usual in about a week's time. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I don't think anyone, you know, in any of the other clubs can say, hey, how, how, hang on a minute. Um, the, so, you know, the media is sitting there. I'm, maybe I'm too cynical, but I do not think it will play a big role tomorrow. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm of a certain age and I'm cynical too. And, uh, you know, I don't see Bill, you know, not running an article because they are sort of starting to reflect in, you know, the editorial suite. The Alfred Draxlers of the world. Um, should we run this story? Can we ethically, you know, defend this? What are, what are we doing to this young man? Of course they're going to run it if they have a sensational story about just about anyone. Yeah, just maybe a, to, to, to prove your point here. So in the press conference, the, the Bill journalist asked the first question going in immediately into what's what's happening next where i feel maybe this was a moment to maybe just pause and not Im instantly go at you know what are the next headlines what can i produce out of this and then later on that that day or in the night there was an online story that broke from that very same person uh, turning that press conference into 
how I experienced the most difficult press conference in my life. <laughs> so there you go, you know. So you know, it's barely that was that was the same night, so the same day. So um, you know, let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> Uh, yes, I mean it's uh, it's hard being a writer for Build, having to experience human emotions from someone else than yourself. It's just terrible, uh, and you know maybe there's a reason for why I'm why I'm never buying this paper when I'm in Germany. Anyways, I mean his question though is is a valid one, but it shouldn't have been asked at this given point. I mean the next question, I, um, or the more natural question that has, should have been asked at that point is, uh, what are you going to do? How are you going to recuperate? Are you planning to get back? I mean, what's your outlook on life now, Max Ebel? Exactly, yeah. I mean, or just maybe pause, right? It's just not, not say too much, but, uh, you know, dig too much. But, yeah, there you go. But, I mean, as I said, this question is a valid one, and I'm going to ask the same one now. I mean, what, what, how is Borussia Mönchengladbach going to fare from now? I mean, there's, um, we're recording this on January 30th. I don't think there's anything in particular planned in terms of transfers for tomorrow. No, as it, as it stands today, the, the breaking news on the, on the weekend was that um, Dennis Zakaria will be leaving the club to Juventus. You know, details yet to be confirmed, and it's not confirmed from the club side, but it looks like a done deal, so... By the time maybe you're listening to this, this is already a done deal. Um, but incoming players, nothing has been rumored even or said. And I think uh, I have reason to believe that nothing much will happen until Monday 31st, 6 p.m. in Germany, where the deadline ends. Right, because Max Kruse is joining Wolfsburg. Why? Why, by the way? But anyway, so there's n nothing much happening in terms of transfers coming. But I mean, how is the club going to, you know restructure itself from now on how is the club i mean most important part basically is going to be to stay in the league right about now right yeah this is absolutely what Gladbach has to focus on now let's again i hope the anyone in charge behind or besides Eber has to realize this and the team has to finally wake up i have to say um this is just it's just ridiculous to see a squad that as i was saying earlier you know performed well in the champions league is now looking at being relegated because that's the same squad and, uh, you know, the next two matches up against Amina Bielefeld and uh, up against Augsburg are, you know, one of these six-point matches, as we like to call them, where you'd simply have to get something from them. You kind of just have these lackluster brain-dead performances. Gladbach knows to do really well against sides that are, you know, supposed to be qualitatively worse off than Gladbach. So, you know, it, it counts now. There's not many matches to go uh, in total. If you look at uh, where to pick up points, and yeah, it's on. It's on for Gladbach. Um, somehow, this season, I just plow through and you know get to the whatever it will be, 34, 36 points, and then rebuild. And ideally, of course, start the rebuilding process now. Yeah, so that would mean that right about now, you need a guy in there who has the vision to do just that. And, you know, you mentioned Stefan Carell. Do you think that he's going to be the guy who's going to do that? Or is Gladbach looking at outside candidates or maybe somebody else from within? Yeah, that's, that was also, of course, a topic then at the inf now infamous, maybe, <laughs> uh, press conference uh, when it comes to the questions by journalists. But uh, it, was, it was then said already that it will be an external candidate they're looking for. And Stefan Carell was... Yeah, done tremendously well, and I think in terms of scouting and everything, but he said he's not someone for the limelight, he's not someone who would who would want to be taking that job on permanently, so he will be the interim sporting director until the summer, and what we see now is, yeah, a search, the usual search 
accompanied by Yellow Press for uh, the new man or woman in charge. And uh, it's, you know, it's an interesting race, of course, because uh, you hear the usual names, the usual suspects, the big names of the business that are currently maybe available or maybe interested. Um, you shake your head at some of these names, and then that's sort of the outside. Has Horst Held been mentioned? I mean, you shake your head at the big name, and um, you know, my mind goes immediately to Horst Held. Yeah, so far, luckily, that name has only been mentioned in sort of you know, sort of a, a, a scary bedtime reading for I guess some of the Gladbach supporters, <laughs> <laughs> not around the club. So yeah, but then of course you have some outsiders there, but it's it's going to be interesting because it's a crucial, you say, it's a crucial period and it's a crucial position to fill. Yeah, I mean, it's basically you've had 14 years of pretty much unprecedented success and um, now you're looking to sustain that. And um, whoever is uh, stepping into that position has to be the right man or woman indeed. It's going to be exciting, uh, Manuel. And uh, yeah, I hope I hope you make the right choice and I hope that uh, results on the football pitch are going to improve from here on out because, um, I mean, let's be honest, so far this season has been, um, well... I don't know, as exciting as a glass of Kolsch? Some might say, yeah. I mean, you know, that team even managed to turn a, a, a historical 5-0 thumping of Bayern Munich in the cup, uh, turned it sour by being, you know, p- p- catapulted out of the cup by Hanover <laughs> two weeks ago. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, gives Hanover fans the, the opportunity to print up Bayern Bundesliga shirts. Oh. Yeah, they should do so, yeah, absolutely. They did well. <laughs> anyway, so um, best of luck with that, Manuel. It's, it's been, uh, as always, a pleasure having you on. It's uh, always nice to chat about uh, British Imaging Gladbach with you. Um, before I let you go, uh, tell our listeners where they can find your work and where they can find you on Twitter. Sure. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at uh, binger05, and you can find the Forward Abroad podcast at uh, Forward underscore and, and we're also relaunching our sort of out of the sabbatical German version of, uh, at Forward underscore uh, DE. Excellent. Uh, you can find me, Nick Wiltong, at Law Musings. You can find this podcast at Talking Foosball. Make sure to check out our Patreon page because there's loads of extra content there right about now. Manuel is actually on a few episodes of our latest series called Scandal. Make sure to check that out. And until next time, when I'll be talking about black money within amateur football in Germany, it's goodbye for now. Bye.